Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Hello all and welcome to another episode of Word Processing. My name is Josiah and I'm one of the pastors at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. And today we're going to talk about a subject that is central to the Christian life, but often misunderstood. A topic that is foundational and yet at the same time often seen as unrealistic or idealistic or simplistic. Today we're going to talk about forgiveness. That which we are called to extend horizontally to others because of what has been and is repeatedly granted to us vertically by God through Christ. Now, this past Sunday, Dr. Jim Rennie, one of the elders of our church family I I serve alongside, presented us with a biblical understanding of forgiveness, and we want to take a few minutes now to flesh it out a bit more. So let's start here, Jim. What are some common misunderstandings or misconceptions that Christians have when it comes to forgiveness? I think that uh, we need to have a Bible-based view of forgiveness, and if we don't, we're subject to a very large uh, body of uh, private interpretation. Mm-hmm. A lot of people define forgiveness uh, the way they would uh, define art. It's in the eye of the beholder, whatever forgiveness mm-hmm. means to you. And some of the, the ways that I've heard uh, people describe forgiveness is uh, it's, it's an intellectual exercise of uh, forgetting the, uh, the offense. And uh, when people can successfully forget the offense and sort of brush it off uh, them, they feel that that's what forgiveness is. I've, for- I've forgotten about it. And uh, that is not according to the scriptures. So it's more of an, an intellectual exercise for them. Just uh, put it behind you, uh, move ahead, and don't think about it anymore. And that's what constitutes forgiveness. People more who are more on the emotional side of life figure that uh, forgiveness is about uh, emotions when they can settle themselves down and not feel bad about it anymore or not be angry and not be sad, not be hurt. That's what constitutes forgiveness for them. Other people believe that it's about uh, settling it with the the person on the horizontal level, as you mentioned, uh, that that uh, I've got to go and and talk to people who have wronged me, give them a piece of my mind, uh, and maybe if we can settle, let the dust settle on that conflict, that's what constitutes forgiveness. In other words, it's reconciliation with the other person. Uh, and uh, I don't believe uh, any of those are what the Scripture tells us about forgiveness. And what you presented with us uh, to us on Sunday was more of an objective view than those subjective views. Mm-hmm. Like how do I ever know if the retribution I've enacted is enough? How do I ever know if forgetting is enough? And even how unrealistic is that if the offense is deep enough? How can I forget something like that? And therefore, if those two are the same thing, then forgiveness is off the table. It's impossible if I can never forget that thing, right? But you said that it's objective biblically, that Forgiveness is a business, you said. Yes. How do you articulate that? Maybe re-articulate that for us, and what do you mean by that? Well, I believe that that is the teaching that comes from the Lord in the Lord's Prayer, uh, which was a, a uh, the passage that we uh, read on Sunday morning. Uh, Jesus says, uh, 
Forgive us, he teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are debtors against us. And so uh, in that passage, Jesus is telling us that God views offense, God views a sin or an offense uh, one to the other as moral debt. And uh, God is the one who is first offended by any sin, whether it's against somebody else or not, uh, even private sins that we have. And uh, he views those as moral debts. Uh, so forgiveness is about uh, handling a moral debt. And by the grace of God, he, God is a forgiving God. And he gives up the right to collect on a debt. He gives up the right to hold that debt against us and he cancels it. So that's a very objective thing. If you walk into the bank and you have nothing to pay your, your debt with and the bank says, we forgive you, uh, that's not a subjective experience. That's right. <laughs> that's very, very objective. Well, one day I, I owe $5,000 and the next day I'm free of that obligation to pay. So it's, it's a very objective thing. Maybe you could describe the parable you pointed us to near the end of your message on Sunday as well to illustrate this teaching of Christ. Yes. Uh, the Lord Jesus in Matthew 18 uses a, a parable to illustrate just how objective uh, this uh, issue of forgiveness is. He likened it to people who had debts to pay. And uh, there was a, a Lord who, uh, who had uh, two servants, and uh, the first servant came to him to plead for mercy because he had a huge debt. It was just unfathomable how much in debt he was. And uh, the, the, the master, the Lord, had compassion on him, and he discharged that debt. He forgave him for that whole debt and, and uh, set him free from it. Objectively so. Yeah, there was no obligation <laughs> yeah. left to pay. Um, it's, it's not subjective anymore. Yeah. It's you know, signed, mm -hmm. sealed, delivered, mm -hmm. I'm free from that obligation. Another day, the, the, uh, that first servant meets a second servant who, who uh, owed him uh, a few hundred denarii, which was uh, not an insignificant amount, but very, very small compared to the amount that, that the man had been forgiven for by the master. And uh, the second servant says, please uh, forgive me for my debt. I'll, I, don't, I can't pay it right now. And uh, the first servant, in anger, throws him into the debtor's prison until he should repay the, the whole debt. And so this act of unforgiveness gets back to the, the master. And he calls the first servant and he said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all this debt and yet you have not forgiven your fellow servant. And uh, in anger, the, the master throws him into the debtor's prison until he should repay all of his first debt. So the, the uh, teaching in the passage is, so shall my heavenly Father do to you if each of you does not forgive your brother from your heart. That's very objective. It's, it's a wonderful thing to be forgiven uh, a debt and to be walking out of the bank with, uh, with, with all the debt discharged. It's, there may be some subjective feelings around it, but the paper, yeah. the paper trail is very objective. <laughs> So there's no doubt there is, and you're not denying a subjectivity to forgiveness. There, there are emotions involved. There's emotions around everything, including forgiveness. Right. And so it's just a matter of replacing one with the other. And so 
If you, opening the scriptures, you pointed us on Sunday toward the objectivity of forgiveness, uh, not discounting the subjectivity, but saying that the objectivity is primary. Absolutely. Yeah. How do we wade through right now? Suppose I've been wronged heavily. How do I get past all that emotion and all that subjectivity to the objective core to handle forgiveness? Forgiveness is an act of faith in God. It's also an act of obedience. And so if you do not have any desire to obey God or to trust God, then you won't be too interested in forgiveness. Because for people who don't trust or obey God, forgiveness is really a giving up on justice. It's a giving up on believing that anything is going to happen to resolve the the, the terrible conflict that has that has happened to them, uh, justice will never be served. Right. And so for them, forgiveness, forgiveness is about, indeed, forgetting the offense. Learning give, to live with it, maybe. Learning to live with yeah. it and uh, not seeing any really real resolution. Hmm. Uh, the God of the Bible is the God of justice, who will see that all rights are wronged. Everything is going to be resolved. God's justice is a very fine and wonderful justice. So when I forgive, I'm choosing to trust that justice will be served, just not by my hands. And uh, that belief has helped me immensely when it comes time for me to have to do some forgiving. Because I have been offended at one point or another, I've been uh, betrayed, I've been uh, let down, I've been lied to by, by friends, I've been cheated. And uh, just as other people in life have experienced uh, those occasions. And uh, for me, it's, it's just about obedience and trusting that God's going to take care of it. I'm going to go to God and I'm going to give up my rights to uh, demand repayment of the debt because I'm going to let God take care of the debt. And if he wants to demand repayment, that's his business. Mm -hmm. I'm giving it up. Mm -hmm. So forgiving is giving up something, sending it away. So that's what it says in the Greek. You send away an, a debt. In other words, you give up your right to hold on to it and demand repayment yourself. So maybe another misconception about forgiveness is that if I forgive this individual who's harmed me, I'm basically letting them off scot-free. And you're saying by faith as a Christian, we're not necessarily saying that. We're just saying that I'm the, not the one who's going to enact justice on this person. That's for the Lord, right? Right. Okay. Romans 12, 19. Do not take your own revenge, but beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. The leaving room for the wrath of God is the giving up of my right under the law to demand fairness and repayment, to let God take care of it. And by the way, the basic principle of law, which God has put into our hearts, is the principle of evenness and fairness. You walk by a schoolyard and the children are out there at play and it's not, it doesn't take very long before one of the children cries out, it's not fair. Or the Boyd backyard. Or the Boyd. Yeah, that's right. It's not fair, right? I'm sure, Josiah, you hear that with your boys. <laughs> Once or twice. <laughs> Once or twice. Yeah, see, this idea of fairness, the idea of uh, things should balance out, is that idea of 
that God has put in our hearts. And when there is an offense done against us, uh, that's not fair. And so the desire to to get it balanced out, to get some uh, repayment or compensation for the injury the other person has affected on me, is very powerful. Mm-hmm. And God has put that in our hearts because God says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that's the principle of balance, the principle of evenness. You poke me, I poke you. And uh, then we're fair. Now we're even again. Uh, And that's exactly what God invites us to give up. We give up our right under law and we trust grace instead. We don't appeal to law. We appeal to grace because God has said, I paid this much to procure your salvation. I, I released you from a terrific debt. Will you not release somebody else? And that's grace. I give up my right under law in order to practice grace. So this is really an invitation from the God of the Bible to us to walk by faith and to trust him, to trust that he is the God he says he is, a God of justice, and that he will do what he's promised to do, which is uh, bring about justice as well. And we are relinquishing our control to him. We are. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And what a gracious invitation. Like we long as part of being image bearers of God and having that innate sense of justice in us. We long for justice. We long for shalom. We long for that peace that endureth. And so this is an invitation to have that and to leave things to him. And yet on Sunday, you talked about the imprisonment of unforgiveness. So, and obviously we know just from our personal experience that there are times when I don't want to forgive or I don't want to find that objective truth of forgiveness and extend it to someone else. Let's say I'm convinced by this, the scriptures are open, and I see that this is an objective reality that I am to extend to others as has been extended to me. What is the cost of not doing it? What is this prison of unforgiveness that I walk into myself by refusing to forgive others and close the door? Well, I think there's two levels of that cost. The first one is that uh, I no longer have peace with God. Because the Lord has said in Matthew 6, if you do not forgive men for their sins against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. So I, as soon as I hold back forgiveness and sit in resentment and in grudge, I'm out of account with God. Now he's saying, you're in debt to me because you're not going to trust me and obey me. And so uh, I'm in a state of sin and I don't have any peace with God. I mentioned on Sunday about the man who who, uh, would not forgive and he knew those scriptures that, you know, when you, it says in Mark 11, whenever you pray, forgive. And so because of his heart and heart, he stopped praying for two years of his life. Here's a Christian man, knew that when he went before God, he had to forgive. So the, the, the way he tried to get around it, but he, he put distance between himself and God. And distance between yourself and God always happens when you hold unforgiveness. The second part is that when you hold unforgiveness, you lose the peace of God, not just peace with God, you lose the peace of God. There's no sense of God ministering his rest to your soul. No sense of being at ease in God's presence. No sense of uh, calmness to your mind. People who are holding unforgiveness 
are, are suffering uh, with poor mental health and emotional health. They are they're going to suffer in their bodies because God is not going to give them rest in their soul. So there are physical ramifications. Oh, there are physical, emotional, and mental ramifications. Absolutely. Now, to back up and just to be clear, when you say that to not extend forgiveness, I am sacrificing peace with God. We're not talking about a diminishment or a, a taking away of justification or salvation. We're talking about walking day to day in the peace that God gives us. Right? We're not talking about if I refuse to forgive someone tomorrow, then my salvation is in jeopardy. Well, certainly, legally, from a legal standpoint, when a person becomes a Christian, therefore, being having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But we maintain that peace. We maintain that sense of of our rights uh, of our right relationship with God by obedience. It doesn't mean that we lose our salvation. It means that we lose our peace. Because God says, without a settled account with me, you're not going to have peace. If you're the one who sinned and you don't go and you ask the Lord to forgive you for your sins, you don't have a settled account with God. You don't have the peace. You don't have peace with God. He's He's going to oppose your your rebellious heart. Yeah, yeah like that brother you had spoken about on Sunday. That uh, while he did not cease to be a Christian, he had a severe lack of peace because of his unwillingness to forgive. Uh, absolutely, he's out of account with God. Yeah, and then he. Secondarily, he doesn't enjoy the rest of God. So you would say then that there can be, and I know in your practice you've seen this, in spite of severe offenses against me, people have wronged me severely, I can still have peace in this life in spite of those things. Oh, absolutely. The Lord Jesus is our primary example. Uh, He was forgiving those even while they were putting the the, uh, nails in his hands and feet. And... uh, Stephen praying, Lord, do not lay these things to their charge. Uh, he, he was praying forgiveness upon his enemies, even while they were throwing rocks at him to, to kill him. And uh, the Apostle Paul, who uh, all the while he was being uh, wronged, kept a good heart and kept a good conscience by forgiving and, and uh, being gracious to others who were wronging him. So we have good examples. We have the example of Joseph in the Old Testament, who obviously forgave his brothers. And these are, these are so important. These are so important examples because if we do not heed the, the uh, call to forgive and to be forgiven, we will lose our peace. Some of the most disturbed people in my practice are Christians who have lost their their peace with God because they have refused to forgive. What would you say to someone who might be listening or someone listening that knows someone who has been hurt very, very badly? And by world standards, maybe even their friends are telling them, that's not something that can be forgiven. That is an unforgivable offense. Mm -hmm. And I can think of many examples of that. I'm sure you can as well. How do you plead with that individual, assuming that they're a believer, they have the Holy Spirit living in them, 
How do you plead with someone like that to start moving toward the freedom and peace that is available to them through forgiveness? Yeah. Well, I know where I start when I'm uh, counseling people who have been severely wronged, people who have suffered severe abuse. Uh, I invite them to have peace with God. And uh, it's the most important, most primary peace. Before you can learn to experience the peace of God, the, the tranquility of mind and heart that God desires to, to give me, you've got to have peace with God. It's the most primary one. And so settling the account with God through forgiveness is the first step in healing. It's not the last step or a step that can be entirely ignored. It, it's the first step. Have you forgiven? What does that look like? So I've been wronged. And I want to go to the Lord first. How would you walk me through that, even giving me the words to say, if I'm that hurt? Lord, I forgive that person who wronged me. Just that easy. It's, it's, it's business. I sign on the dotted line. <laughs> I sign away my right to hold that account against them. And even if I don't emotionally feel attached to those words, the declaration, the longing to forgive that person is enough. Yeah. It's not... Forgiveness is not an emotional resolution. It's a spiritual transaction. I'm struggling. I'm an emotional guy, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people say, well, I wouldn't be true to myself. Sure. I wouldn't be true to myself sure. if I just said those words, you know, because I wouldn't mean it because I don't feel it. Yeah. It's an act of faith. It's an act of faith, not an act of feeling. So now I have been wronged. I take your advice and I say, Lord... Through gritted teeth, perhaps, I forgive them. I sign on the dotted line. Now what? Well, if I have been holding resentment for a long time, which I probably have, I need to confess my own sin. Lord, forgive me for mm. being slow to obey and for, for holding this resentment for X number of months or years. Mm. And uh, to become aware that this too has robbed me of, of my peace with God. Mm. And then... The business of learning the peace of God begins. I learn that God can help my emotions if I surrender them to him. God can help my mind and restore my mind uh, if I surrender them to him. Uh, great peace of those who love thy law. When, when I learn to love God's word and obey it, I can have the peace that is promised to me in the scriptures, the peace that passes all understanding. And uh, I have seen people who are severely, severely traumatized, physical, sexual abuse, uh, great betrayals, and uh, they have peace in their hearts now because God has ministered his gracious peace to them in the deep uh, depths of their soul. And uh, they're, they're no longer uh, in that prison. Uh, they're free. And they have loving hearts and can serve others. How essential is it in this process of eventually down the line, me going to that person and forgiving them? Uh, how do I avoid that being patronizing? And what if that's not even available? Maybe they've passed away. Maybe they've moved away. Maybe they won't hear me. How important is that part of the process? Well, as I mentioned on Sunday, it's not uh, absolutely vital because it, it's not always achievable. And I tell people, not even Jesus was reconciled with everybody that he met on earth. There were a lot of people who were opposed to him and he didn't make peace with them before uh, he left this earth because they were unwilling. 
I often think of, of uh, Judas, an unwilling heart, couldn't be reconciled to the, to the Lord. What a, what, a, what a terrible waste of a life to be so close to, to the Lord Jesus and, and be unwilling to repent of his hardness of heart and to, then finally to betray the Lord. I think that one of the most vital things for people who have been wounded to learn is that God is, is the real comforter of their soul. If they think that holy unforgiveness is going to give them any comfort, it won't. The, the real comfort for my soul is the nearness of Jesus. And Jesus comes near, ministers to my hurt, and calms my heart when I'm troubled with, with anger and resentment. He comes near and he, but he very graciously heals my heart. So I've been witness to this over you know, 30 years of counseling. I've been witness to people getting their hearts healed. And it's a wonderful thing to see. As we close, I wonder if you could talk briefly about the necessary connection between the forgiveness we've received from the Lord as Christians and the forgiveness we're invited to extend outward just as we close and, and bring it back to that parable again of how much we've actually been forgiven yeah. and how that should flow out of us horizontally. Yeah. Uh, before I address that, there's one other thing that perhaps I didn't mention as clearly on Sunday is that it's the preciousness of the word of forgiveness. A lot of people think that if they say, please excuse me, or I, I apologize. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now, these are good words, but they're not gracious words, and they're not freighted with the weight of the word forgiveness. Because the word forgiveness, the weight of the word forgiveness is underwritten by the blood of Jesus. And, and so the longhand of asking forgiveness for somebody would be this. Would you please cancel my debt of sin, which I'm guilty for? Would you please cancel my debt of sin based on the fact that Jesus paid his precious blood to cancel the debt? So I'm asking you to cancel my debt because I believe that forgiveness is the great cancellation of debt and, and at, at a great cost. And to give forgiveness is the same thing. I forgive you based on the fact that somebody paid a great price to cancel that sin already. So who am I to be unwilling to discharge this account because somebody under underwrote it with his precious blood. That to me is, is, is just so vital to, to attach forgiveness mm -hmm. to the value of the blood of Jesus. We didn't go quite so far growing up, but I remember my parents telling us that in our house, sorry was not acceptable. Yeah. I remember them saying, even as kids, uh, that we were to name the sin and ask for forgiveness. I was wrong for blank. Yeah. Will you forgive me? Yeah. Now, we didn't in our little minds uh, talk about the blood of Christ or anything like that, but I think my parents were trying to move us toward a more biblical understanding of forgiveness, kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 Well, what they were teaching you was objective truth, right? <laughs> I didn't catch on to that. Yeah, I didn't notice that. <laughs> I think they listened to you long ago. They knew. Or maybe I listened to one of their servants. I don't know. <laughs>
but that they were teaching you the objective reality of transacting forgiveness, which is wonderful. And to, and to be able to name the sin is to, uh, when you can name it, you can understand it. Yeah. yeah. It's no longer arbitrary. It's no longer vague. I know how I've wronged you and yeah. how in the meantime, or in the, at the same yeah. time, I've wronged the Lord. I, I've wronged you both, and mm-hmm. I need to identify that. At the same time, I guess I'm identifying what it was that was paid for by the Lord, what it was that was uh, canceled, the debt that was canceled. Yeah. Not about that connection now between the vertical and the horizontal. You already touched on that, but just clearly, how can that motivate me to extend forgiveness horizontally when I understand deeper how much I've been forgiven? Okay. There are three steps to peace. First of all is the, is the peace with God. That's settling the account with God. The peace of God, which is, pe- which is his peace ruling in my heart. And then peace with others. The most difficult one for me to achieve is peace with others. <laughs> because I may be willing to, to do it and the other person may not. Yeah. So it requires the willingness of the other person for, for me to really be reconciled to that person. And uh, all I can do is my part. And so it says in Romans uh, 12, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Because it's a, it's a dream that cannot always be realized. And we have, to, we have to admit that. We have to believe that, that we can't always make peace. The, the person may have died, and we can't really uh, transact it with them. And uh, that is, uh, it is not necessary that we actually complete the reconciliation process. There's a lot of things that are going to be settled in glory that we can, we'll just have to wait for. But if we have the opportunity, the Bible encourages us to go and seek to uh, achieve reconciliation. And a spiritual reconciliation is the foundation of all reconciliation. It's the foundation of restoring a friendship, to have a spiritual reconciliation. Accounts are settled. And so many of us, we just gloss over this because we say it's it's more trouble than it's worth. And so why should I bring it up? And uh, unfortunately, many things don't get reconciled. We wonder why we've lost friends. And, and it's because uh, there's been some secret uh, resentments that have just torn us apart. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't take the time to reconcile. So reconcil- reconciliation person to person is a precious thing to God. And he wants us to pursue it. Pursue peace with all men, the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. That's what he says in Hebrews 12. Well, thanks, Jim, for taking us through this perennial issue that we need to be. I read a a book a number of years ago called Preaching as Reminding. The thesis of the book was just that, that sometimes what the preacher has to do is just remind the people the truth they've already heard. And that's what the prophets did a lot of times in the Old Testament. They reminded the people of Israel of what they should have already known. And I felt that uh, on Sunday, you really reminded us of a very, very important central truth that we've heard, but we need reminded of because Mm -hmm. we forget. And life has a way of distracting us from what we need to do. Another uh, author I read said that the church of Jesus Christ is not marked by, or one of the marks of the church is not a lack of conflict, but it's forgiveness. Mm -hmm. There will always be conflict because we're broken people. Yeah. The Church of Jesus Christ is marked and defined by its ability to forgive because they have been forgiven. It's an important thing. 
Very important. Yeah. So I agree. You. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> amen. <laughs> well, thanks again. And thank you, listener, for tuning in to join us. We pray that it was a blessing to you. And until next week, grace and peace to you and yours. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.